Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. Big day to recap this week. Uh, I'm Deputy Sports Editor Andre Fernandez, joined once again by Miami Herald sports writer extraordinaire Jordan McPherson, who is uh, at the end of a long trade deadline day, which started out kind of slow, started out with us, you know, like it usually does, just monitoring, seeing what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it was a flurry right at the deadline. Marlins pulled three trades to cap uh, a, a period of a few days there with a few moves. Jordan, I mean, take us through it. I know they, they ended up having not the result they wanted to right off the bat. One of their most recent acquisitions, unfortunately, faltered against the Phillies and resulted in a 3-1 loss. They've dropped two, the first two games in, in a quite the crucial series. But big picture, a lot of names that, have, that are coming this way and, and soon to be in Marlins uniforms. Uh, how you doing? Take us through it. Yeah, so long day, busy day, still a lot to be done. But I'll start with what happened on Tuesday and then work my way backwards. So about the last hour and a half before the 6 o'clock deadline, Marlins make their first move. They get Jake Berger, third baseman from the Chicago White Sox. A one-for-one one trade. They sent a left-handed pitching prospect, Jake Either, arguably their top pitching prospect. Uh, list is number four on pipeline, but was definitely rising Easily could have been in the big leagues already, if not for Tommy John surgery in uh, August 2021, which shut him down all of last year. He's just starting getting back in. Uh, Berger, long story short, he's there for the power. 25 home runs this year, tied with Jorge Soler for what will be the most in the Marlins. I believe that's now that he moves from the AL to the NL, fifth in the National League, tied with Soler for that. So And gives him that thump in the lineup. A lot of swing and miss, a lot of chase sort of goes against what the Marlins have been going for with their contact got contact hitters and getting on base and whatnot. But when you need the power and you need guys for RBI situations like the Marlins desperately need, as we've seen since the all-star break, you go for a guy, you, you take one spot in your nine, in your nine spots in the lineup for that. They're willing to take that risk. And then right as the clock hits six, 6 p.m., Marlins got two more trades done, ready to gun. Uh, the first one trading with the Cleveland Guardians, they get switch hitting first baseman Josh Bell for Gene Segura and Khalil Watson, 2021 first round pick. And then the other trade was with the San Diego Padres, uh, left handed pitcher Ryan Weathers for Gary Cooper and right handed pitcher prospect Sean Reynolds. Uh, overall, those three trades, Berger and Bell specifically, fill out, they beef up the Marlins lineup. Ryan Weathers, uh, an option for uh, starting pitching depth. And it overall completes the last two phases the Marlins needed after last week uh, getting a pair of relievers. They got Jorge Lopez from the Minnesota Twins, one for one, sending over Dylan Floro. And then 
a couple days after that, got David Robertson from the New York Mets for a pair of prospects, Marco Vargas and Ronald Hernandez. Both of them in rookie ball, the Florida Complex League. Marco Vargas is the big one of the two. Uh, fast riser in the system that, again, if they need David Robertson to pan out and they're using him as the closer, uh, like you mentioned at the top of the episode, David Robertson blew the save on Tuesday. He got his first save on Sunday, but Marlins had a 1-0 lead going into the ninth inning. Sandy Alcantara pitched a gem, eight shutout innings, four hits, one walk, but was at 101 pitches through a complete game to start before. They go to David Robertson, gives up a leadoff walk to Schwarber, RBI double the Bryce Harper, then two-run home run Nick Castellanos. But Miami wouldn't have been in that position if they actually ended up producing on offense. They had 11 hits and had one run. That's basically right. leans into exactly why they made the trades they did just before the game for Berger, Bell, and then just trying to get guys who, when you see the guys around base, can actually drive them in. That's prior- right. That's the main priority as they move forward here. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. We're, we're in sort of a transitional day in terms of the, what happened on Tuesday. But at the same time, Monday was kind of a similar story in the sense of how it turned out. So... Once these guys, once these new pieces get into place, that's what we have to really look at and see: can these problems be remedied? Is the bullpen going to be sure going to shore up for the most part? I mean, blown saves will happen from time to time, but you don't want this. You're counting on Robertson to not be that version all the time. But I think the offense is the bigger question. You know, does the move? Um, you know, let's start with Berger because you you know mentioned that you mentioned the power, but again. This year, the Marlins have really done a good, a much better job than in the last few years in terms of getting guys on, consistently just moving the line, you know, keeping that lineup going. And lately, that hasn't happened. So you put a guy like in there that you would think would drive in some of these, but again, if it's a little more of that risky all or nothing, that kind of goes back to the way the lineup was before. So you hope that he that it's not that he produces. I do like the Josh Bell move in the sense that defensively too, you know, now you put him there at first and, you know, but again, those two issues right there, if that doesn't get worked out relatively quickly, I mean, we're, we're about, they're about to get to that stretch that we've been talking about over and over. They're in the middle of a crucial series with Philly, but then after that, here come all those big hitters, you know, like the the Rangers on the road, you know, the big series against the Reds, another fellow uh, playoff contender, you know, the Yankees are kind of struggling, but they're still in the mix in the American League and so on and so forth. I mean, a lot of obviously the August tough schedules here. So these problems need to get worked out fast. I mean, it remains to be seen once the whole lineup is in place. And then again, can't expect that maybe necessarily to drop in and first one, two games. That may be a little bit of a, of a process, too, for that lineup to kind of take shape and start to get a rhythm going. But again, can't drop too many of these. No, correct. And also, in addition to Jake Berger and Josh Bell, you also have to look at the internal quote-unquote additions that the Marlins have gotten the last couple of days. Avso Garcia returning, Josh Chisholm Jr. returning. Both right. of, add the two of them. In addition to Berger and Bell, you have four guys, and, and plus Jorge Soler, who throughout the season, again, was an all-star for a reason this year. That gives you five guys now who are your quote-unquote quote RBI producers, guys who are supposed to be run scorers who – it's basically this has lengthened their lineup a lot more, assuming everyone stays healthy. Again, that's been the issue with Jazz for basically ever since he made his big league debut. He's missed 60 of 66 games throughout a stretch with two separate injuries. Comes back, 
comes back solid in his first game back. Obviously, Garcia, four hits in his first two starts back. Uh, you have the two of them producing. You have Jake Berger. You have Josh Bell. It gives you a chance where you could basically have a lineup that looks like Luis Arise at the top, Jorge Soler stays in at the two, and then your three, four, five, six are any combination or any permutation of Avisel Garcia, Jess Chisholm Jr., Josh Bell, and Jake Berger. Pick the order that you want. And then your bottom three, it gives you Brian De La Cruz, who's been in the three hole for a lot the last the last week or so because of just where the roster stands going down to the seven, possibly like the seven spot, your shortstop, whether it's birdie or Wendell down in the eight and your catcher spot nine, you, this all, this instantly becomes a much deeper lineup. And that's what they needed there. It's not just relying on guys who you're looking at as guys who are going to be turned the corner. Or you're hoping they turn the corner. Now you have at the very least your top six are six proven guys who have, either have the track record or you are, you have been seeing it this year that they they have what it takes. And for the last, for a lot of the season, it's been, okay, we know this guy could do it. Will he? Now right. it's, you see these, you see this group at full strength. This is a much improved lineup and it's going to be needed to be able to back the starting pitching or just the pitching in general to make this push. Yeah. Yeah, you're not you're not going to be a true playoff team or playoff contender, really, if you're going in there with a bunch of what ifs and a bunch of unproven guys. I mean, when you're looking at it in a long term lens completely, like you have been in the recent years, that's different. But if right now, you know, right now they're in wild card mode and, you know, looking at that part of it, this is the way that they if they're going to have any chance of it, this is the way to do it right there. Like you said, having this this kind of experience up and down the lineup helps a lot. But I mean, looking at that long-term lens, though, I know that's one thing else we wanted to talk about because, again, here, there's another number one draft pick out the door. I mean, granted, to get something in return, but again, they, lately it seems in uh, not late. Lately, we say lately, but in the last you know year or so, we've seen a lot of past first rounders, you know, guys that they hoped for, for to turn out pretty well, have been traded. So here's another one right now. How do you kind of see? You know, with Khalil Watson out the door now, you know, Jake Eater, who had, you know, some injury problems there, but he's out the door. Sean Reynolds, another one that they had hoped, you know, they converted him to a reliever, but so much for that project. Now he was traded away too. But how do you kind of see their farm system now when you look at, when you take a step back and go, okay, how does the long-term picture there look after all these moves? Yeah, the farm system, it definitely took a hit. I mean, like you said, Jake Eater was their number four prospect according to Pipeline. Khalil Watson was in the top 10. Sean Reynolds was in the top 30. And then the two they traded for to get David Robertson were also in the top 30. And Marco Vargas is a guy who in the industry was becoming a fast riser, potentially a top 100 guy down the road type talent. Right. <laughs> and then you look at some of the other moves that they've made recently. I mean, go back to just the past two years. Uh, Cameron Meisner to get Joey Wendell. He was their second pick that J.J. Bleday draft year. J.J. Bleday getting traded for A.J. Puck. Uh, Connor Scott being part of that package to get Jacob Stallings. A lot of these top tier guys, these top draft picks that didn't pan out for the Marlins, they ended up just starting this trend of trading higher prospects who weren't working out for them and or combining expiring contracts when needed to get instant big league talent. And a lot of times they've been doing it and getting control, getting big league talent that they have for 
control for multiple years. I mean, like Blade for puck trade. They had puck for right. five years. He was their closer until David Robertson got here. You look at some of the other trades, uh, the Cameron Meisner, they got two years of Joey Wendell out of that. Uh, some of the expiring contracts, though, when you also look at what they did to build this roster, Starling Marte, expiring contract for, I think it was four or five years of Jesus Lazardo. Yemi Garcia to get Brian Del Cruz, who's going to put two in the outfield now. Miguel Rojas to get their future shortstop in Jacob Amaya. They've been making a lot of trades these last two years that have been both looking at how do they improve the club in the present and also what are they doing long-term. The Jake Eater for Jake Berger trade. Jake Berger is still in his first year in terms of MLB service time. So he has five more years after this. So they're getting guys who are instantly helping them now, but also guys who they have the they have control over over the years to come. So while the minor league system's taking a hit, they're also sort of giving themselves that little bit of a buffer by having guys who are talented already in the big leagues already showing they can produce in order to give them time to restock when they when that time comes. Right. You can always flip it back and kind of balance that out that exactly. picture or two down the road. And we'll see because they've been they've been good at doing that in recent years too. And obviously there's a few guys you know, that we won't know for sure for the next year or so how they're panning out. They're going to depend on development and still plenty of arms in the system, too. I mean, when you look at it, that's all that's that's the one side that really hasn't been a problem for them historically over this process the last five years or so. But especially now, there's still a lot there. And and I think perfect segue there to talk a little bit about the, the arms that are at the big league level. The rotation, how do you kind of see, by the way, uh, to go old school Marlins here with Ryan Weathers. Uh, if you, if you, for people that watched the Marlins for many years, remember David Weathers yeah. pitched for a while with the Marlins. Uh, that's his pops. So we got we got another Weathers on board uh, on this team. So uh, it kind of took me back when I heard that today. I was like, oh wow, that's a that's a name from Marlins past. So um, how do you see him fitting in, and how do you see the rotation kind of shaking up behind those top spots as they go forward into this brutal stretch coming up? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see what the Marlins do, especially since. Right before the game on Tuesday, they optioned Edward Cabrera down to AAA. He has, he's been very inconsistent this year. His last couple starts, uh, two starts ago in Tampa, two innings, dealt with the blister again. That's been a recurring issue for him for going on a year and a half now. And then his start on Monday only went three innings, walked six guys, and the Marlins, they just can't afford that. They can't afford to have starting pitchers, especially when starting pitching is supposed to be their backbone. They can't have starting pitchers going short and then taxing the bullpen like they did so much early in the season. And Skip Schumacher's message to Edward Cabrera was throw strikes. You have to throw strikes, show us you can do it down there. Hopefully he's in the minors for only a couple weeks and then he can come back because he's a valuable piece. I mean, his changeup is just as dangerous as Sandy's. He has the fastball that goes 97. He has the curveball that's swing and miss. But with him in the minors and Yuri Perez still being them being cautious with him monitoring his innings, he's only made two starts since being optioned before the break. Uh, right now, you've got Sandy Alcantara, you've got Johnny Cueto, who kudos to him. He's impressed. He's been doing his job, the eating the innings and effectively eating those innings. Uh, Braxton Guerin, Jesus Lazaro, two lefties. That gives you four. The fifth spot for right now with Yuri and Cabrera down. They can either have Ryan Weathers insert himself straight into the rotation or they have the other option. They have George Soriano still on the big league roster. He's been their long man for 
about the past month. Yeah, basically all of July. And he's shown that he can go five plus innings and be effective. He's been a hybrid bouncing between starting and relieving and relief work for the past couple of years now. And he's been that steady guy when a lot, when things fall apart, he's been the guy who's handled the mop of duty and handled it well. And if they wanted to, for the time being, while they figure out what they want to do with weathers, how they want him to or establish a role for him, they can always just have Soriano take that spot, at least that first turn through the rotation and then go from there. But yeah, that fifth spot's going to be a key thing to, to monitor as they move forward throughout these next two months. Yeah, I got to think Weathers gets a shot, though. I mean, if yeah. not, you know, you got you come in here. I mean, granted, you know, and, and lefty too. So another lefty in that rotation, potentially, you know, young kid. You know, as he hasn't put up the best numbers, but I think at some point, you know, the, the, it's a power pitcher they could put in there, maybe get him a start. But yeah, like you said, maybe they could ease him in. And maybe drop in Soriano for at least one there, but it, it, the the unfortunate part is again, like you said, I mean the, these are going to be in, you know projectively tough games coming up Correct. where you want to have your best your guys with your best stuff up there and not kind of be mixing and matching. I mean it's it's something that sometimes you can't avoid during a long season, but now especially after these moves, you want to have all your horses ready to go, and the sooner they can get that, the sooner they'll have a chance. I mean they're right in the mix of it. I mean. Technically, they fell out of it by half a game tonight after that loss on Tuesday night after that loss, but still very much in that toss up. But you look at those standings and it's promising to be such a battle down the stretch when you look at, you know, it's them, it's the Reds, it's the Phillies, it's the Giants. I mean, it, it continues. The Diamondbacks, the Diamondbacks, Diamondbacks, and then the Reds Brewers, well, whoever is in leading the Central, the other ones that, right there as right. well. And the Cubs are sneaking up and, too. That's what that's the next team I was gonna go to. I mean, like you you blinked and all of a sudden the Cubs are heck, the Cubs actually are over five hundred now. Where yeah, like three and a half it, hours. It feels like it feels like three weeks ago they were like ten under and all of a sudden now they're you know making moves. They became buyers at the deadline, you know, grabbing uh, Candelario to add to that lineup. They kept Bellinger. I mean, they're right on the doorstep. I mean, they, they've been able to do what we thought the Mets might do when they started surging a little bit, and you look at them. I mean, I mean, look at, look, I mean, for people that get all enamored with run differential, look at the Cubs plus sixty-seven. This is not a bad team now, and and a dangerous squad that potentially, you know, could make some noise and sneak into the playoffs now. So again, a lot of things to deal with for them, but uh, you know, we'll we'll see how it all pans out overall. I mean, uh, on a silly note, something <laughs> not a silly note for some. For some people, it might be a serious thing. How was that rooster race? It was interesting. Uh, well, first <laughs> off, congratulations to Pepito for winning the first rooster race. Uh, they had it, it did in the middle of the sixth inning. They had them run from the center field, from basically dead center field, all the way around the warning track to basically home plate. It felt like it was way too long for for of the race for the three mascots to be dashing, but. They had fun with it. It's going to be a nightly thing, and it gives some sort of mid-game entertainment. Again, we had the Sea Creature race up until 2018, so it was good to see something like that back. I think they're going to probably shorten the distance that they're going to have the Roosters running throughout from here on out. At least that's what I've heard being discussed. But you know what? It gives something else for the fans to be able to see. And again, you see these races throughout all throughout MLB 
uh, the pierogi race in Pittsburgh, the sausage race in Milwaukee, the presidents in DC, uh, the tools race and beat the freeze in Atlanta. I was going to say the freeze. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You see all these different things. And it's one of those fun things where, again, it's, it's almost synonymous with a baseball game, seeing it at so many different places. Clearly, Papito does not possess the speed of the freeze, uh, is what you're telling me, pretty much. That is correct. Or, or the, or the stamina to to get through the race, which we, we that's what we see all the time in Atlanta. Guys blow past the, you know, they get they get the head start, and they think the freeze is not going to catch them, and then they run out of gas yeah. halfway through the race. Yeah, no, so. it's endur- it's endurance, not speed. That's the that's yeah. the key. <laughs> Or at yeah, least that's wow. what I would think. I I'd have zero chance of beating Freeze. I would have absolutely no chance whatsoever. I will gladly admit that right at the front. I would like to do it, but I know I would I would get my butt kicked. Yeah. Well, now anytime I'm driving around that area for years, as I've seen the little the little real roosters uh, running or walking around sometimes in, in the neighborhood around uh, Lone Depot Park. Now you know everybody's going to start thinking of that and maybe go, Pepito, look at this. You know the guyos are going to be like running around and and. And we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, fun times at the ballpark. And, uh, you know, we'll see again on this on the back to the more serious note. Let's see how the Marlins, how this all pans out. As you know, they are finishing up this series with the Phillies before they hit the road. Jordan will be there in Dallas to in Arlington to to uh, check out at Globe Life Park. And then uh, Cincy after that. And we'll see. We'll see next week where this team stands. We'll see if they start to if this new lineup and this new rotation and bullpen start to, to figure things out a little bit better. You know, I mean, 50, 57 and 51 as of this recording, still very much in the thick of it. Yeah. And 54 games ago, they still have a third of the schedule left on, left on the docket. So yeah. they have the chance of it again this August, if they can keep their heads above water by the end of this month, then they right. have to, they would, I would think they'd have to feel good about their chances going into September for the final push. We'll be right there along with you. Check out everything Jordan wrote. Jordan wrote a ton of stuff and is going to continue to write a ton of stuff in the next couple of days about these moves, about the after effect of these moves. And, you know, he'll have he'll be documenting it. Well, both uh, mostly him, but I'll be in there, too, once in a while, documenting uh, this team, as we always do. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Fish Bites podcast for Jordan McPherson. I'm Andre Fernandez. Thank you for watching and listening as always. We'll see you guys next week.